0: All right. Well, good morning. Grab your Bible this morning. You can open it to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1 this morning. I'm excited to share another fresh word with you. And um, how many of you uh, find yourself sometimes wrestling with a verse? It's like, man, that one I'm wrestling with. That one, I have some tension with. That one is challenging in the day in which we live. Uh, we're gonna look at one of those today, <laughs> okay? And I'm gonna share with you some of the tension that I have with it, some of the challenges that I'm having with the verse, and how it work, is working its way out in our world today. And I'm sure that it will probably <laughs> hit home with you as well. Um, I'm guessing. Well, over the past several weeks, we've been sharing a fresh word from God's word, and these fresh words are intended to give us hope, to give us encouragement, to build us up, to help us understand what God has for us. And we believe that this is important because hope is important. Hope's important because it helps us live a powerful life today. When we understand the proper place to put our hope, and we understand the things that God has done in our life, then it changes us. And it affects our life today and in the future. And so today, I wanna to look at four things. Four things in the book of Acts, chapter one, verses one through 11. I believe there are four things in this little section that I would say are, are large foundational points that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, but these four things also give us great hope. So I want to look at those things. So would you pray with me? I probably need to rework this, huh? All right, let's try that, Doug. I just tightened everything up. Okay. Anybody else ever have a technical difficulty before? Okay, just check-ins. checking. <laughs> All right, would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that is, uh, even though, Lord, it's it's old, it's timely. It's amazing how your word can touch us exactly where we're at right now today, and it was written thousands of years ago. Thank you, Jesus, for seeing all of us, for seeing every generation, and being faithful. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 1. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now there's a lot there, isn't there? Are you surprised I found four things? Actually, I found more than four. I only had time for four today. I only have time for four this morning, maybe, if we get going really fast. So follow me this morning as I talk about four reasons we have hope from these verses. And here's the first one. The first reason we have hope is because Jesus is alive. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Jesus is alive. Verse 3 says this. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. I've often wondered about that. Like, what's the convincing proof after he's in front of you? Like, he's, what? So do I need more proof? Because you're like right here. Like, that's amazing. And he had all these convincing proofs. Now, here's why we have hope as Christians. We have hope because we believe in a risen Savior. He's not dead. He came back to life. He hung out with his disciples after his death. He left the planet alive like right in front of them. I love this little phrase where they say they're they're just staring off into the sky because they're like, what just happened? This is amazing. We just hung out with this guy for three years. Now he's died for us. Now he's come back to life and now he's Gone and we're supposed to go hang out in Jerusalem and wait there for this thing called the Holy Spirit. But all of these things are eyewitness facts about Jesus Christ because Jesus is alive. Now, we all know that there's skepticism about the resurrection. That there are people that feel like, you know what, that's just a you're just in a spiritual lie, you're not really thinking about reality. You know, dead people don't really come back to life. And that's a little bit about where you and I live today because humanism is the religion that much of the modern world is embracing today. And humanism says all religions are bad. All of them are lies and all of them are bad. And we would probably agree with part of that. We would agree that some of them are bad. But we would say that Jesus is different. Jesus is different because he's alive. Now we can understand their skepticism because... Jesus is God, and he left heaven, and he came here, and he came to this planet to save us, he rose from the dead, and sometimes those things are hard to swallow. But what we declare as believers is these things are facts. This part of the story of Jesus is a fact. Historians have agreed to that fact. The biblical writers have agreed to that fact. There's eyewitness testimony to that fact that we read about regularly. Now, the truths about Jesus, there's some other things that we believe about Jesus, about like what he said about life and eternal life and heaven and hell and love and how to be kind and how to love one another, all those things, we might have to believe by faith. But here's what we know from God's word. We have faith and we have fact, and they work together to give us Jesus, to give us the one that we believe in, See, our faith is not blind, but it is partially faith. Now, we also believe that there are spiritual lies in our world, that there are things that people say that are probably generated from the enemy of our faith, from Satan himself, and these things are in our world today because the enemy wants us to be tricked. He wants us to believe a lie that's not Jesus Christ. And so there are all kinds of things for people to believe in, in this world that the enemy of our soul means for us to believe so that we miss out on real life now and real life eternally. We have to remember, Satan's a real being. He's a real person with real spiritual power and he manipulates in every way possible. One of the largest ways he manipulates is through spiritual things that sound good but aren't, but we also see his manipulation everywhere, don't we? We see it in government and economy and education and morality and social media and culture. We, we see it everywhere today. And we have to remember that as Christians, we believe something different than most people do. We believe in a risen Savior. We believe eternity is only possible through Jesus because He is alive. The boldness that we have as believers in Christ is because Jesus is risen. The boldness we have is because there's there's nowhere to find him. There's no body. There's no bones to dig up. There's no location on the planet where we go visit his grave, where his body is there. There's only an empty tomb. But most importantly, there's not an empty heart. Because he lives right here in you and in me. And so the Jesus that we believe in, he's not dead. He's alive. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into, uh, catch this phrase, a living hope. Not a dead hope a living hope. How, how can you and I have living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So there is a living hope inside you, inside me, when we believe in Jesus Christ, and that living hope is always resident and always working and always growing because Jesus is alive. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is alive? Go ahead. The second reason we have hope is because Jesus' kingdom will last forever. All right, you ready for some tension? You ready for a challenge? This is my tension. Here we go. This is my challenge. Verse 6 through 8 are something that I'm working through right now in my life. And as I explain it, you'll realize you might be working through this in your life as well. But look at verses six through eight with me. I want to dive into them because I think they apply to us today and I think it can be a fresh word, although sometimes a fresh word can be a very challenging word. So follow me. Jesus has risen from the dead um, and you'll remember, let's just put a little historical context here, uh, the Romans are in charge. The Roman Empire is in control. The Israelites do not have their own freedom. They do not have their own nation. They, do not, they are not governing themselves under God's word like they had been for a long time. They are not having the great nation that they thought that they had. Although as we read through Judges 1 and First and Second Kings, it really wasn't as great as they thought it was, was it? But they thought it was great. And so in verse 6, Jesus is risen from the dead and he's done awesome things. And in verse 6, the disciples ask the risen Jesus a question. And here's their question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Good question. Now, I think the question that they ask is valid. I think it makes sense. We might have asked the exact same question, from a risen savior who we've also, by the way, hung out with for three years, and he's shown us the ability to have great power, okay? So if you're hanging out with a guy that can't be killed and can raise the dead, heal the sick, walk on water, calm the storms, it might be a logical conclusion to think, this guy should rule us, right? This guy who's utterly kind, awesome in love, John says, full of grace and truth at the same time, this guy should be our leader. That makes perfect sense to me. Does it make perfect sense to you? So they ask, are you going to restore our nation? Now, here's where it gets challenging for us today. How many of you are asking that question about the United States right now? Okay, I am. I'm asking that same question. I'm asking that question to God, but I'm struggling with this verse at the same time. Let me explain. I really enjoy living in America. We all should. It's a great place to live compared to the rest of the world. We have our share of troubles, and if we don't right the ship, we're probably heading for darker times. But if you do good history about the United States, here's what you will discover. That after the Revolutionary War, and men sat down to come up with how we were going to govern ourselves, many of those men were Christians. And so Christian principles, and Christian laws, and Christian morality, all were helpful in framing the words of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And so we lived that way for a long time. Most of our original buildings had Christian murals in them and the Ten Commandments and art depicting that we trust in God. We've taken those things out now. And so much of this is fading before our eyes as we embrace humanism and we ask God to leave almost every realm of our society. Christianity was a foundation of our nation and a big part of what made America great for a while. And I see that, and you probably do too. Hey, Doug, why don't I switch to this one? Yeah. Is it bothering you too? <laughs> okay, good, because it was killing me. All right. Yeah, you want me to go to? You? When I look around, uh, our great nation. I see a nation that doesn't want God and a nation that is trying to do life without God and without his word to guide us. So sometimes I ask the Lord, are you going to restore our nation? And I hear verse seven, you ready for the tension? It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now follow me. Let's, let's think about just for a minute what this would have meant to the original disciples. The original disciples are thinking in their mind the context that we have always known God is in the nation and the promised land that he took us to and that he created for us. And that must be what God wants us to go back to. And Jesus says what? No. No. That's not what you're going back to. I have you going forward. Okay? I want you to leave that behind. And I want you to move forward into a different kingdom. Why? Because my kingdom lasts forever. That kingdom failed. I gave you a couple thousand years and and it failed. You let it fail because you wouldn't obey me or listen to me. Now, I'm I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that I think America has failed yet because I still have some hope for it. But here's what I'm going to tell you. If we don't right this ship in a hurry, and if we don't get back to God in a hurry, it's going to fail. It's going to fail. Why? Because what used to be built on God's Word, we're now building on humanism and heading towards socialism, which always says what? God, get out. And so as we do that, as we move that direction, we will watch us fail. Why? Why? Because every kingdom that man has built fails. There's only one kingdom that will last forever, and that's Jesus. And so here's what Jesus says, and this is the tension. This is the hard part. Guys, I need you to forget about that dream, and I need you to believe a new one. I need you to believe a dream that I have given you. And this dream is that every single person on the planet can be can enter into this new kingdom, into this living hope, into this new thing that I'm doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want for every person, not something that will fail them, not something that will ruin them, not some government that man-made that will always leave someone out. That's not what I have for you. I have so much more for you. So let me paraphrase. What Jesus is saying is put your hope in my kingdom, not in a kingdom built by men, because every kingdom built by men will fail. See, Jesus is telling the disciples, focus on being a witness for me to those in your city, in your state, in your region, to the ends of the earth, because my kingdom will last forever. He's saying, if we we put our hope in ourselves and in what we build, we're unwise. That's not wisdom. Wisdom says build yourself on Jesus. Now, do I want the Holy Spirit to bring revival to America? Absolutely. Do I want the Holy Spirit to sovereignly move in a powerful wave that might see thousands, millions, tens of millions of people get saved for Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But what if that happens at the same time that our country's going down? Because... Jesus is coming back. And the the scripture is clear, prophecy is clear, that as we get closer to the time that Jesus comes back, the world will get worse, not better. But at the same time, there could be revival happening at that same moment. And that's exactly what happens from Acts chapter 2 on. The Roman Empire is growing in power and the church is seeing hundreds of thousands of millions of people getting saved by the bucket load. So many people get saved in the next three centuries that Constantine finally says what? Just join them for goodness sake. We can't beat them. We can't throw them to the lions enough. We can't crucify them enough. This group is so large now. We should just make them our religion. And he turns Rome into the church, which is what ended it. (laughs) And God reforms it later in the 1200s. Amen. So every time we try to do something as men, we will find a challenge. Now, This is the balance for us right now, isn't it? Here's the tension I have. Do you feel it? This is the tension I have. I love our nation. But I want to live in a nation where Jesus is exalted. You probably do too. I want to live in a country where we discover right and wrong from the Bible, where evil is confronted and destroyed so it doesn't seep into our society and ruin future generations. As a believer, I, I think that's a good desire in this world, and that's, what I think many of us are saying right now, that's where we were as a country, and we're not there now, and I'd like to get back to that, and I agree. I hope that that's possible, but can I, can I tell you something this morning? I need to put more of my hope in Jesus than in Washington, D.C. Yeah. I need to put a whole lot more of my hope in Jesus because his kingdom will last forever. So I'm wrestling with this. I have tension in my soul over this. Now, how does this relate to our hope? It relates this way when we put our hope in an earthly kingdom, in earthly governments, in what we build as humanity, we will be hopeless. But when we put our hope in Jesus Christ and his kingdom, we will have hope every day of our life now and for all of eternity, because Jesus' kingdom will last forever. See, as believers, as a follower of Jesus, we have great hope because our lives are ruled by Jesus' kingdom no matter what earthly kingdom we live in, but we have to be reminded that Jesus' kingdom has no borders. It has no hindrances. It has no end. Which leads us to the third reason we have hope, and I believe is the reason that we can live with this tension that we now have, and that is that the Holy Spirit gives us power. Here's what I'm discovering I need the Holy Spirit to live today. How about you? I just need him. I need him in the context where we're at, I need him in what I see happening in our world. I need the Holy Spirit to help me honor Jesus in my thoughts, in my heart, in my family, in my city. At my workplace, everywhere, especially my workplace. It's, uh, you would not believe what my workplace is like, people. I'm just telling you. Oh, man, if you only knew. I don't want to put anybody, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. So I'm not going to, it's just, it's just rough some days. Let's just, let's just call it that. Verse eight says this, but you will receive power. Would you say power with me? Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness. Would you say witness? Witness Witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, here's Jesus' answer. What I really want you to do, I want you to live in power, and I want you to be a witness for me, for my kingdom, for my name. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to live for Jesus and share Jesus with the world. Now, let me be clear about one thing as we process the Holy Spirit's ability to give us power. When you and I believe in Jesus for the very first time, maybe it's at church, maybe it's at camp, maybe it's hanging out at Starbucks with a friend. Think of the moment you first believed in Jesus Christ, and I want you to put yourself there, okay? The first moment you said yes to Jesus and you said, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in his death, I believe in his resurrection, I believe I'm a sinner, and I, and I believe I need Jesus. In that moment, when you confess that, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. Okay? That moment, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you and to, to dwell in you. Uh, and I have a lot here, but I'm looking at the clock and the clock's telling me one thing and my notes are telling me another. So I'm going to go quickly just for a minute. So Romans 8, 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, here's what's clear, right? The spirit lives in you because You believed in Jesus Christ. By the way, I don't have time to get way into this, but that's exactly what the cross did. The cross makes it possible for you and I to have the Holy Spirit living in us because the cross, at the cross, Jesus took all my sin, past, present, and future. It's all paid for. As a result, you and I are perfectly clean by the forgiveness and the atonement of Jesus Christ, which opens the door for the Holy Spirit, holy being the word there, right? The Holy Spirit to live in me. Why? Because I am holy. You are holy. See, only way that happens. Before the cross, that doesn't happen. We just see the Holy Spirit coming upon people on certain occasions. Now the Holy Spirit is not just upon, he's in. He's in you. Why? Because you are holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's good stuff, Jesus. Thank you. Now, in these verses, Jesus is also talking about an additional work of the Holy Spirit. Extra work the Holy Spirit wants to do. So the, the, the disciples already knew Jesus as their Savior. They already had the Holy Spirit in them. Earlier in John, Jesus actually breathed on them and said the Holy Spirit is in you. But Jesus says, wait, i got one more thing for you. I want you to go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait For the gift my Father wants to give you. There's there's one more thing you need. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what you need. Now, look at it with me in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So turn your page over real quick. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4, when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples as they were hanging out in Jerusalem, just chilling, praying eating falafels together. They're just just doing their thing. And it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now you'll notice, this is the first time this has ever happened. didn't happen before when Jesus was hanging out with them. It's happening now. It happened then, and it's still happening today. Not in this exact way, but the Holy Spirit still comes and fills us. And does things in particular to us. Now, notice with me quickly, there's three things that happen in this moment that I think help us understand the Holy Spirit and what he's trying to do. As the Holy Spirit filled the first believers, there was a sound like a violent wind. There was tongues of fire that rested on each of them. And third, they spoke in tongues. Let's look at each. The sound like a violent wind. Throughout scripture, we see the Holy Spirit described like a wind. In creation, in Genesis 1, it says that the Holy Spirit hovered on the water as God created everything. In Ezekiel, the story of the dry bones, the Lord breathes and it becomes like wind and all of the dry bones come to life. The Holy Spirit brings life. See, when the Spirit of God has been referred to like the sound of a wind. It's this moment where you start to hear something and you realize the Holy Spirit is coming into this place, not only in a physical manifestation, but in a spiritual one. This is the sound like a violent wind. Now, the second one I think is awesome. This one rocks. Follow me. Tongues of fire rested on each of them. So some sort of little flame above their head, above their heart, I don't know, somehow there's this like flame-like thing that's, that they can all see. Now, follow me. Everyone in the, in the room is an Israelite. They're all Jews. They know their Jewish heritage and their culture. And in their Jewish heritage and in their Jewish culture, they remember something vividly. It's the most important story as an Israelite group, right? It's what? When God took them from Egypt to the promised land. And what guided them the entire time? A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, what did that pillar of fire represent? It represented the presence of God always with them. There was a moment when the Egyptian army was breathing down their neck, right? They're trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. And what does the pillar do? Bounces. Bing! Dung! Lands right here in between the Egyptian army and the Israelite people and protects them. While God opens the Red Sea and they walk across it. There are times that the pillar of fire, that the Holy Spirit will protect you. And then that pillar of fire for the next 40 years guided them and led them to every place that they needed to go to learn something new about God while they were in the desert and then that tongue of fire took them into the promised land. Has anybody put connecting the dots yet? When that tongue was upon those people, here's exactly what they understood. They understood this. The presence of God is with me. The protection of God is with me and the Holy Spirit is going to lead me into this new promise that Jesus just told me about 10 days ago to leave my old nation behind and enter a new kingdom, a new promise, a new idea, a new dream that he just told us about 10 days ago. That's good news. And lastly, they spoke in other tongues. The speaking in tongues just became another physical sign in that moment that they were being baptized, that they were being filled with the Spirit. Speaking in tongues, it's not the only physical sign that you are filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, but it is an obvious one. When someone's been baptized in the Spirit, they might speak in tongues, they might prophesy, they might become a bold witness for Jesus. And I want you to know that here at Chini Faith Center, we believe in the Holy Spirit in this way. We believe that he can fill any of us at any time. If he wants to, he can come in this room and do this to us this morning. I hope you believe that. I believe it because I believe we need the Holy Spirit today as much as they needed him then. And so I hope you will be open to that. Because the Holy Spirit gives us power and we need it to live for Jesus. Now, quickly, the fourth reason go back to Acts chapter 1. The fourth reason that we have hope is verse 11 Jesus is coming back. He's coming back these two angels that come down they say why are you standing here looking into the sky this same jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven folks listen jesus is coming back and i believe it could be this afternoon if he wanted it to be now here's what's interesting jesus is not coming back as a humble savior He's returning as a victorious king, and he will right every wrong. He will make everything new. The prophecies that talk about Jesus' return give us hope and vision for a day when Jesus will return and usher in the beginning of the end. Jesus will rescue those still living on earth, And have chosen to live for Jesus daily in the midst of very difficult and evil times. And so when I look at the world around me and the evil that is prevalent everywhere and the spiritual famine that I see affecting our nation and affecting all of us, it is the fact that Jesus is coming back that gives me hope. It gives me hope every day to go into the world and share Jesus with the world because he could come back any moment. And folks, I I want my friend to come to heaven with me. And I need to tell them about Jesus before he comes back. Now let me close with this. Uh, A pastor that I used to listen to a lot back when I was in Bible college, he's, he's gone to see Jesus now, um, relate a story one time about when he was a little boy and he was hanging out at grandma's house and grandma was a very godly woman. And he woke up one time early in the morning and he went out in the front room and grandma was standing by the front window in a daze, just like staring off out the window Incoherent about what was going on in the room, and so he walked over because he wondered if something was happening to Grandma physically, and he took her hand and he said, "Grandma, are you okay?" And she said, "Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry." His name was Ron. So sorry, Ron. I got sidetracked there a little bit. I was wondering if today is the day Jesus is coming back. Your Savior's coming back for you. That's his promise. And every single promise he's ever given you has come true and will come true. Would you stand with me? There are four reasons that we have hope today. Jesus is alive. His kingdom will last forever. The Holy Spirit can give you power to live for day, today and because Jesus is coming back. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the work that you have done in each of us. so much work throughout all of time, throughout all of history to see us in our present and into the future. Jesus, you did all of that. And then you left so that the Holy Spirit could come. And so now is the time of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand how important the Holy Spirit is. The things that he does in our life to help us look like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the Holy Spirit's work in us. The gift that he, the spiritual gift that he has for us, the way that he wants to be a witness in our city and in our state, and our region, and to the end of the earth. Lord, all of these things are the work of the Holy Spirit. And none of us can stop that. We want to partner with the Holy Spirit. We want to be a part of that. And so, Lord Jesus, would you help us to honor the Holy Spirit in our lives? Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge this morning that you are real. And we want to say, have your way with us. Have your way with us. Do whatever you want to do with us because we want to be a part of a kingdom that will last forever. Help us to focus on you. Help us to do what's good and right right now in our country as well, but help us to put more of our stock, more of our chips. We're all in, Jesus. We want you. And so would you use us for your kingdom, for your name, for your glory forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good to see you this morning. Thanks for coming. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.